The world as we know it today is overtly connected in almost every facet, whether it's through culture, media, technology, or art. Though throughout the majority of human history, this was not the case. Global interconnectivity was only made possible through advanced forms of travel and communication, one cultural marker that points to the transition from global isolation to inclusion is the World's Fair, which were also called World Expositions, where people from all around the globe came to both present and admire scientific, cultural, or artistic creation from their peers. There have been several impactful iterations of the World Fair throughout history, but one addition in particular was the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition held in Chicago. For both the city of Chicago and the entire world, this event left a lasting impact. What's more, for a city that was rebuilding itself after a devastating fire, the exposition proved as a shining example of Chicago's resilience. From the Ferris wheel to Chicago-style hot dogs, or Woodrow Wilson to electricity, this edition of the World Fair often served as a first exposure to things that would become household names for many. Originally held to commemorate the 400-year anniversary of Christopher Columbus's discovery of America, the World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago now serves as a marker within American history itself, signaling the height of the Industrial Revolution and more explicitly, a foreshadowing for passing the torch from Europe to America in terms of geopolitical and cultural power. Today, we discover the world's Colombian exposition. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. Since the mid-1700s, the World Fair has been a momentous global event held every few years, and many feel that the popularity was a direct result of the Industrial Revolution, rapidly advancing technology in terms of communication and travel, as well as exponential hyper-globalization of the world. These expositions would not be possible without the global trends of the time, and as these developments became more prevalent in society, the World's Fair served as an international celebration of technology, scientific, artistic, and cultural advancements. As U.S. President William McKinley said in 1901, quote, Expositions are the timekeepers of progress. They record the world's advancement. And while the focus is usually on the technology or science, a large part of each event was also about the entertainment section, which existed as an exhibition of music, food, performances, shows, rides, and many more. In the United States, this gathering was referred to as World's Fair, whereas in Europe or Asia, they were often referred to as World Expositions or Expos. And in the UK, the event was called the World Exposition, showing how global of an affair this really all became. Each edition usually lasts for several months and was hosted in a single country, making it a window for many to experience the culture and the people of a particular nation or singular city. Since the mid-1700s, there have been over 100 iterations of the World Fair hosted in more than 20 countries. Since 1928, the governing body which had scheduled and organized the World Fair has been the Bureau 
Bureau International des Expositions, or BIE, which runs out of Paris, France. And surprisingly, the World's Fair is ongoing, with the most recent edition being Expo 2020, which was rescheduled due to the pandemic and was ultimately held from October the 1st, 2021 to March 31st, 2022 in Dubai. The next edition is Expo 2023 and will be held in Argentina. But let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. The origin of the World Fair dates back to the later half of the 18th century, in England where fairs and carnivals were becoming very popular among the population. In a time which saw the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, a lot of change was brought to Europe, specifically England, and suddenly, common people were faced with new technology that was advancing faster than they could keep up with. So in an effort to spread both the understanding and the innovations themselves, organizations like the Society of Arts held their own events to display all of their inventions. Now across the English Channel in France, the French government saw what England was doing and felt both impressed but also intimidated. So they sponsored several similar events to demonstrate French technological superiority, and with these two competing countries holding events throughout the rest of the century, the World's Fair was imminent. The World Fair as we know it today, with the same amount of organization and formalization, was hosted in 1851 with Britain's Great Exposition at the famous Crystal Palace Hall, with the underlying goal being a desire to spread British commerce throughout the world. From that point until the First World War, World Fairs were extremely popular events, drawing millions of visitors to each venue, which were held in countries like Australia, Guatemala, Vietnam, Belgium, and so on. The expositions held in the US would be particularly impactful as they signaled the growing power of the United States on the international stage, with the 1893 fair in Chicago being a good example of that. Unfortunately though, after both world wars, the Cold War, and various other global conflicts, it became an impossible event to host across the world like they normally would. And sadly, the World Fair fell into obscurity, but the legacy it left behind will probably never die. So now that we have the context, let's discuss what happened in Chicago. As the 1890s approached, many Americans wanted to host the next World Fair, especially in light of all the excitement surrounding the groundbreaking 1889 World Fair in Paris. They certainly wanted to host the event around the year 1892 to commemorate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's discovery of America. Already at that time, both Americans and Europeans were aware of the possible future in which the US became a world superpower. Books at the time even described Columbus's voyage as the most important event in human history, aside from religious events such as the coming of messiahs or prophets. With the immense amount of potential power the US had, those same books went as far as comparing the US to the Roman Empire. This was the mindset that the committee organizers of the event had when building this iteration. All they needed to do was choose an American city to host. And many cities came forward, such as New York, St. Louis, Washington DC, but ultimately, Chicago won out. The Midwestern city was chosen partly because of its central location, but mainly because of its advanced railway system, which could easily transport visitors into and around the city. But what eventually became the deciding factor as to why Chicago was selected was actually the large public desire 
among citizens. Only a few years earlier, the whole city was rocked by the Great Chicago Fire, and in the midst of a massive rebuilding process, the population was unified and wanted to express their resilience and ability to prosper to the entire world. So after Chicago citizens raised $5 million in funds, Chicago's World Fair was greenlit and construction began. Parts of the city were redesignated or newly built for the World Fair. Chicago's own Daniel H. Burnham was made the chief architect and with Charles B. Atwood as his designer-in-chief and Frederick Law Olmsted as the head of landscaping, Burnham had gathered the greatest architects in America at the time to design and build the facilities to host this great World Fair. Some of these architects included Richard Morris Hunt, Charles McKinn, Robert Peabody, George B. Post, Henry Van Brunt, Louis Sullivan, and so on. All of these masters had worked on some of the biggest and most important architectural projects of the time. Inspired by the Philadelphia Centennial Exhibition of 1876, which celebrated the 100th anniversary of the United States as a country, the designers decided that the Chicago Exposition would be held in a collection of buildings across a portion of the city, rather than just one hall. The exposition was planned to cover 686 acres in Chicago's South Side Lakefront area, currently known as Jackson Park. All the designers also had a particular interest in neoclassical architecture, a style hearkening back to ancient Rome or ancient Greece, involving an emphasis on marble structures such as columns, arches, domes, and large, extravagant buildings. This type of architecture was the prevailing style of all structures built, and overall, the complex made to hold this exposition was four times larger than the previous fair in Paris in 1889. On October the 1st, President Cleveland stood outside the administration building and turned on the Alice engine with the push of a button, starting the power for the entire exhibition. The 1893 World's Columbian Exhibition finally officially kicked off in Chicago and people from all across the world immediately traveled to the city's south side to experience the new innovations. Out on the lake, many different ships were presented, such as replicas of Columbus's ships, the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. There was also a Japanese dragon boat, a Viking ship from Norway, and Ventennial gondolas. In the neoclassical Court of Honor buildings, massive exhibition halls presented the most cutting-edge technology, and electricity quickly became the most talked about topic. As electricity was just about to become the common commodity that it is today, visitors were enamored with the new electric innovations, such as incubators for chicken eggs, electric execution chairs, the fax machine, sewing machines, electric irons, laundry washing machines, the light bulb, and various other engines. This area of the expo was eventually labeled the White City due to all the marble neoclassical aesthetics as well as the fact that the buildings would be lit up at night with electrical lights. Other than the White City, the most illustrious portion of the expo was the Midway section. Generally, the Midway section was focused more on pure entertainment and audience enjoyment. Over time, 
The Midway got so popular that it actually lured customers away from White City, to which they responded by altering their exhibits to accommodate for more crowd engagement. Soon, the White City now offered contests like tug-of-war, tightrope walking, parachute jumping, as well as boat and swimming races. However, the Midway was most known for introducing the world to the Ferris wheel. If the lasting image of the 1889 World Fair in Paris was the Eiffel Tower, designed by French architect Gustave Eiffel, well then, the Chicago World's Fair Committee wanted to design a revolutionary structure of its own for this edition. Surprisingly, Gustav Eiffel even offered to build another tower. Initially, the plan was to build a massive 1,500-foot tower made of wooden logs. But in the end, the committee wanted the landmark structure of Chicago's World Fair to be designed by an American. So they went with George Washington Ferris, who built the Ferris wheel. The final structure was a 250-foot diameter wheel with seats on the perimeter, revolving in between two 140-foot-high towers. The Ferris wheel was extremely popular, attracting 1.4 million rides and selling for 50 cents per two rides which was a lot back then. The Midway also had many circus acts, including dwarf elephants, two-headed pigs, and jugglers, alongside other acts like Harry Houdini, the ragtime piano player Scott Joplin, Buffalo Bill Cody and the Wild West Show, as well as beauty pageants. Music and food were also large attractions for the fair, including local cuisine, but also culture found beyond. Musicians, bands, choirs, ensembles, orchestras from states throughout the US, as well as Turkey, Egypt, Algeria, China, Indonesia, Scotland, and many more appeared on stages in Chicago. Displaying different cultures was also a center part of the world fair, and there were whole exhibitions dedicated to this. Alongside German and Irish villages, there were also Algerian belly dancers, an Indian reservation, several mosques, and a Cairo street. Many political speakers from all corners of the political spectrum came to give speeches, such as Woodrow Wilson, Susan B. Anthony, Jane Addams, Frederick Douglass, Elizabeth Stanton, and others. The legacy of the 1893 World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago still stands today as it has affected the world in many ways. Overall, it cost a total of $28,340,700 to hold the exhibition, with $18,678,000 spent just on construction and landscaping alone. However, including both paid and free attendance, somewhere between 25 and 28 million attended this event. And after subtracting the cost from the ticket sales, $446,832 were made in profit, proving that a large event like this, celebrating cultures from across the globe, could generate positive income. It should also be stated that the U.S. population at the time was only 63 million, and the country was in the midst of an economic depression, making this turnout number even more impressive. Dubbed the fair that changed Chicago, the citizens of this city were able to show their strength to the world, ultimately proving to be great hosts 
for an overall great exhibition. But Chicago was not alone amongst those who were impacted by the 1893 World Fair. Food was one area in particular that this expo drastically changed, without most people even being aware of it. For example, most today would consider hamburgers and soda as a stereotypical American cuisine, but the 1893 World Fair was the first time that many Americans ever tried this food in their entire lives. Even the famous Chicago-style hot dog, which many would say is Chicago's signature dish, is claimed to have been created at this World Fair. In fact, many food items, which are commonplace today, can draw their roots back to this event, such as brownies, juicy fruit gum, Cracker Jacks, and Pabst beer. As we said before, the centerpiece for all the technological exhibits was electricity. And well, electricity had already been harnessed as a source of power by European inventors for several years prior, things like electrical light, electrical appliances, or engines were not common household items just yet, meaning this was the first time many Americans had even laid eyes on them. The 1893 World Fair also had a lingering influence on architecture, with the cultural significance of this demonstration leading to a revival of classical architecture at the turn of the century. As a result, in the next few years, many government and state buildings across the country were inspired by the White City, incorporating classical stylistic icons like columns, pediments, statues, and heavy use of marble or stone. One of the most critical but also intangible effects of the 1893 World Fair in Chicago was the new role the U.S. was assuming on the world stage. From the era of European colonization in the 1500s to this point in the 1890s, the European powers like Britain, France, and the Netherlands, Spain or Portugal were the undisputed global superpowers, as kingdoms or empires outside of the European continent simply could not compete economically or were defeated militarily so slowly that they faded away. But now, in 1893, the United States of America emerged as a rising power with the potential to topple the European giants, especially since the U.S. had long since overcome internal issues in the Civil War and the Mexican-American War. With a huge growing population and a vast territory containing seemingly endless resource, the sleeping giant was awakened during the Industrial Revolution. The early years of this time frame saw Great Britain tighten its grip on free trade and the world economy, but now the greatest innovations appeared in America, with this World Fair in Chicago serving as proof. In hindsight, the US did not truly become a global superpower until it emerged as the strongest one standing in the ashes of the Second World War, but the 1890s was certainly a preview of things to come. And with that, once you get done hitting that subscribe button anyways, this is Ryan Sokash, signing off.